Hi, this is Jean Nathan. It is Crosstown Conversations. As I'm recording this show, we're still waiting for the inauguration, so I'm going to focus our next show on that. For this week, we are digging deeper into our hopes for new trends and meaningful new programming from the new administration. Dana Ennis with the Urban Conservancy and Stay Local is looking at how we can support our local businesses faced with the challenges of the behemoth online shopping options that we've all learned too much more about during the pandemic. Jack Davis, a longtime newspaper publisher and preservationist, is musing how new trends in neighborhood-based activism may finally lead to some major infrastructure, neighborhood, and economic development improvements with the help of the new federal administration's drive to jumpstart new development, even as we still battle the pandemic, economic fallout, and social justice protest. Um, Dana Ennis is one of my favorite nonprofit uh, leaders in town. Um, she's been at it for uh, quite a while um, on something I think is so important. It's, it's her, her effort is urban conservancy and she has a program called Stay Local. As you can imagine that is trying to promote our local businesses and at a time when everybody um, has the, the key to Amazon memorized in their fingers. Um, it's so important that we really do look to supporting our own uh, businesses because otherwise, um, where are we gonna go in town? You know, we have to have places to go. And that means we have to be able to buy things and do things and, and keep people employed and, and have a city. I, I think this whole notion that you know, Amazon is always bragging about all their employees in, in warehouses. Is that the future? People are going to be all locked up in warehouses? I think that's a terrible idea. Um, but there's some innovative ways of addressing the issue of Amazon, and we're going to explore those, but also talk about our local businesses and why it's so important to support them. So, Dana, let's start with the more general um, question of um, how are we doing? How is our local business doing, and I don't so much mean COVID. We all know that COVID has been horrible and we are losing. Some folks are literally shutting their doors and for a combination of either running out of money to be able to stay open, um, or maybe they were actually somewhere on the cusp of maybe closing. And so this kind of pushed them over the edge. I think that happened in a lot of cases. Um, but at the same time, we're gonna see new businesses opening. We know that, that it always happens. So. Um, tell me how you see things going forward, how they are now and how they are going forward. When I say now, I mean, not so much COVID focused, but in general. Yeah, I think, you know, and we're always at Stay Local, it's always like looking at what's the role of the consumer as well as what's the role of the business owner and, uh, and business owners are also consumers, you know, they're, bu they're buying um, supplies and that sort of thing and making decisions there as well. Um, but when you talk about like the, shopping piece of it, the, the purchasing piece, we're really talking about the consumer side of things and how are things going? Um, they are, I, we're still, you know, applying the lessons learned from Katrina and the fact that what we took away from that as the small business community took away from that is if you don't have an online presence, once your shopping base is scattered on the winds and becomes what is known as a diaspora, 
spread, you know, being a New Orleanian, wherever they are, how can they support my business when they can't physically walk in my door? Um, that is the lesson that it was reinforced with COVID is what we learned in Katrina. And that is having an online presence. And that's where our businesses can be, can successfully go um, toe to toe, head to head with Amazon in, by having that, um, that online presence. So in, um, you know, when you say, how are they doing to the extent that they are able to have that presence and I, I see a lot of creativity in terms of how businesses are doing that. And I know we're not talking like specifically about COVID, but a lot of what we're seeing now that will become, I think, probably just part of what the services are offered, curbside delivery, or curbside pickup, delivery, and that sort of thing. A lot of that has to do with how businesses are figuring out how to digitally connect with their traditional consumer base and that just opens up a world of possibilities and then so, if I if I might well go ahead and finish your sentence but I, I really want to I want to stay on that for a minute because mm -hmm. a, a lot of people who are not especially in, in slightly older age groups and, and I'm sure there are a lot of local businesses that are uh, run by people in, in slightly uh, older um, age groups this is not this is not a, a slam dunk this is not their skill set necessarily and so they're having to really finally force themselves to learn how to do this and that includes quite frankly myself and my artist husband i mean you know we really have to understand okay how do you sell art online which is i don't know whether it's harder or easier than uh, everyday consumer products but um, so I want to come back, finish your sentence, and then I want to come back to the issue of how do people learn how to do uh, uh, digital content? And that exactly, I think that's that's the point I wanted to make is that that peer-to-peer -peer support. So businesses, uh, I, uh, you know, I've heard um, Blake, I've had conversations with Blake Haney at Dirty Coast, who I think he was also on Out to Lunch early on in the pandemic, talking about exactly that, that those that know, businesses that know are have a vested interest in helping those that don't along, like creating, a, recognizing that they have a role to play. For example, Blake Haney, um, who does have that, and you know, he does have that uh, skill set, has has a role to play in helping other businesses along to create that platform for themselves, um, and. Um, and, and teach, teach them or give them the tools that they need to remain successful because, you know, you, nobody wants to see businesses uh, disappear. And you're absolutely right that there is, there is those that didn't grow up immersed in the digital stuff, it's a steeper learning curve for sure. It's not only a le learning curve, it, there's a certain amount of psychological resistance. I mean, I can speak for myself. I'm a marketing person for goodness sake. And, um, when, when online marketing media relations became dominant, that's when I literally exited the marketing business and formed a nonprofit. We still do a lot of marketing, but I'm not strictly doing that because um, the 24-7 the the, uh, characteristic of online, uh, I really... <laughs> 
uh, was not my favorite way of doing business. I mean, even in, if you're in the media business, you're working on uh, all day long, no matter what you're always on, but um, it's really different um, from contacting people that you know and you have relationships with in the business with the online strategies. So yeah, I think that it's really important that we figure that out. And um, is there uh, is there any, two things, uh, is there any um, uh, institutional nonprofit business uh, uh, base for uh, information to help people do this? We've gone through three people trying to find somebody who could help us uh, do online art sales. And I, mm. I, I realized pretty quickly with each of them what they could do and couldn't do, i.e. we didn't sell a single piece of art through three people. So mm. we're not, we ain't there yet, you know? Yeah. We're, try, we're still trying to figure it out. So um, I didn't mean to get off on this completely, but I think, as you say, if, if a key to a local business staying alive in this environment is, is developing an online um, let's call it a portal, if nothing else, sort of an entry point for people to learn about and make contact with and, and, and have some base of sales uh, that you can uh, build on and, and then attract people into your store. Because I think you still have to attract them into the store at some point. So they, the, the, the beauty of a store is, is, the, uh, is seeing other products. That's why right. they want you to come into the store. Right. So you see other things and sooner or later, you're going to buy other stuff. You're not just yep. going to buy what you came in for. And that can happen online too, but I think it happens more in, in, uh, in the real life. Absolutely. So two, two things that you touched on there. One is, I mean, I, I'll just have to give a little plug for Stay Local because we're still doing our, our networking and workshops online and marketing is by far one, probably the most um, interesting um, and popular topics because people, everybody's just, it's, it's constantly changing. So, you know, it's, it's, it's that, again, that idea of peer-to-peer -peer learning. So we get some of that industry the people have figured it out in front of other business owners. It's always low cost or no cost. Um, and, it, and, and it's letting people know just sort of like, this is kind of here, let me share, share my playbook with you a little bit. So we do those educational workshops, um, encourage anybody to sign up for the newsletters at staylocal.org to be in the loop about upcoming events um, where those sorts of things are covered. But what you said just now about walking into the store looking around, ending up, you know, going in to buy a pair of gloves and walking out, having bought like $400 worth of stuff that you had no idea that you needed or wanted until you saw it there um, is really important. And, and I, there's, there's a really cool local, um, it's, it's now national, but it started locally with a mom and pop second generation business owner, uh, Mike Massey of uh, Massey's Professional Outfitters, who took over his, his parents' um, sporting goods store, which when his, his dad ran, it was essentially, uh, you know, they were providing baseball or sporting equipment for, for local high schools and, and that yeah. sort of thing, little leagues. Mm -hmm. um, and then he really, uh, Mike really transformed it into this, uh, you know, outdoor, um, um, everything uh, experience store. emporium emporium yes <laughs> skiing and uh, you know I go there. sports and all of that stuff 
Yeah. Well, he also in partnership with, um, with Blake Haney, they, they created a website called locally.com and they really were looking at Amazon and saying, okay, Amazon's got a lot of things right, you know, about how people want to shop, but they also want to ground truth their, their, their purchases. And how can we take what Amazon does right in a way that works for our, 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 brick and mortar stores. And so locally.com is where you start online. When you say locally, how do you spell that? L O C A L L Y.com locally. And you're like, I, so I want to, I want to, you know, I want a fleece jacket. And so you go online and maybe even I know what brand I want. I want Patagonia fleece jacket. You go online and you search for that. And then it shows you what is available from area stores in your size, the color that you want. And then you can purchase it and then go to that store to pick it up, try it on, make sure it's right. So it's that combination of, you know, the, 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 what Amazon doesn't get right is it's kind of like you're throwing a dart at the wall. You don't know for sure. You buy yeah, it. You get, get, I've got a closet full of stuff that doesn't fit shoes yes. in particular. And uh, by the way, what size do you wear? I have a lot of size in <laughs> shoes that uh, I can't use. So um, yeah, no, it's, yeah. Uh, that's what keeps me from buying a lot more online. Yeah. So it's that idea of like, we want, we want, and then, and then you're still connected. I've done, I've shopped that way. You still go into the store. You still may pick up a couple other items because ultimately the transaction, you can have it. I think you can also have things delivered to you, but the the transaction is with local, not necessarily locally owned. Uh, I want to put that out there, but, but with brick and mortars, real, like true, real existing stores within your, um, within your city or within your area. So So it's, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, it's just a really exciting, like, uh, it, it's exciting to watch that um, gain traction. Well, you know, um, this, I hope this doesn't take us too far off track, but uh, I'm sure you've had the same experience I've had, although I'm, I'm probably one of the worst at it. So I find I have a really hard time talking to big national companies who want you to work with their robots rather than their people. So mm. you wind up trying to do, I, I just don't do it. I just keep holding out for people. But it's, it's uh, if you're going to hold out for somebody, then you're going to go through a lot of phone dialing to get to the person that you want to. So I have a theory and the pendulum always swings. And my feeling is that we are now dealing with so many national companies that really don't care about us once we're a customer. So by the way, my normal trick, I have two tricks for how I get to what I want with a major national company like, you know, a Verizon or um, uh, any one of the the guys you got to go to nationally. So first of all, I I go to the sales department first because they're the only people who answer the phone. They're the only ones who are interested in you enough to actually put a person there. So I start there and then they'll say, well, we're the sales department. We can't handle that. I said, okay, can you get me to a person? I said, not a robot or a chat room, but a person who can help me. That helps. It doesn't always work, but it helps. The second thing I do is um, I just, uh, I waste extremely little time with the person at the lowest end of the rung who has protocols that they have to live with. I said, I need to talk to your supervisor. 
So that's trick two. Yep. When that doesn't work, I go right to the corporate customer service office. That works. <laughs> it just that that's a little bit of work to get there. But my theory right. about how bad their service is, which is my oh yeah, Venmo. They're evil. That's one of the worst. You have a problem with Venmo? I made a mistake of stopping a check once because I made it out to the wrong person. I didn't know that was a big mortal sin. And so as a result, I cannot use my 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 nonprofit account with Venmo at all. Wow. So um uh, I, I'm putting this out there so that whoever hears this interview hears how evil Venmo is. So my, my, my theory is that the pendulum is going to swing and more and more we're going to have local companies doing the kind of things those big national companies have been doing. Who can give us more personalized service? Is there any hint of that? Yes. And that is, you know, I started off by saying there's the consumer side and then there's the small business side. And what I am seeing that that pendulum doesn't just swing on its own, but but what it takes is that that's where the advocacy piece comes in. And I don't know if you've paid, been noticing, um, you know, stories coming up on the news every once in a while <clears throat> about the antitrust, anti-monopoly hearing. The, the big tech guys. Yeah. Ciceline. Well, he's keyed right into organizations like Stay Local were on those calls with Ciceline as he was preparing. He's a a Rhode Island, he was the co-chair of the antitrust committee that was the the hearings that um, took place uh, a couple months ago that brought the big four, finally got Jeff Bezos up on the hill um, and a couple of, um, and and the heads of the Google and Microsoft. and, um, And he works for the federal government? Ciceline is a representative. And he, yeah, he's a, he's in the house. He's one of the uh, Rhode Island, he's a representative in the, from Rhode Island who is the co-chair of the antitrust uh, uh, committee. Um, the, um, in the, is it the judicial um, uh, committee? It's this antitrust subcommittee that is part of the judicial committee. Okay. So, so he, he was the one leading the hearings at the, on, the, on the Hill. Um, that was where we're asking the, the, the big four these questions. And essentially what we're working with other part, you know, other state local type organizations across the country is on reigning in monopoly power. Um, so there's this push in Congress to strengthen the antitrust laws. And that not only does that mean something really important for small businesses, but it, the small businesses their voices have got to be part of what is driving that policy change. So we can buy our things and that's important. It's important to, to be consumer activists, if you will, your dollar, where you spend your dollar matters. But then the bigger thing is, is it isn't just about the small businesses not being competitive enough. It's that the game is rigged. Like what you're talking about, it's a race to the bottom in terms of everything, customer service, all of that to keep the, keep prices low, to be, remain competitive with these big guys. And that means fewer, you know, paying, paying employees less, employing fewer people, all of those things. To Contract keep- labor and, and going offshore. And of course, offshore yeah. to me is the heart of what we're dealing with in America today. 
with um, okay, yeah, we're just we're dealing with some fascists and racists, but we're also dealing with the unempowered who lost a middle class middle um, uh, manufacturing jobs that have now gone to China. And the guys at the top of the companies are making a bundle of money because their labor costs are so much less. And we're all um, expletived. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. So that's where what there's a way, you know, we, we should be paying attention to this stuff, but also recognizing that there's a role for us to play. There's um, there. There was, we have, we were working, we were part of the planning committee, Mary Ann, state local program manager and I on um, a, um, a, a meeting, an online uh, forum for small businesses where they could hear directly from Congressman Cicilline, who's the chairman. Okay, he's the chairman of the subcommittee on antitrust commercial and administrative law specifically, but they could hear more about what they are doing to rein in um, monopoly power. Um, that's been rescheduled because he is also now involved with the impeachment um, hearing. So that is going to take place sometime in probably mid to late February. And again, stay local will be the best source. So, so uh, small businesses are welcome to, to, to join in on that call and hear more about what is happening in, in reigning in monopoly power and what they can do as well. Because that, that has, when we do our uh, business trend surveys annually. Uh, we survey our locally owned businesses and the, their biggest threat is the threat of the monoliths like Amazon to, to their ability to do, um, to, to, to be successful. So it's that unfair competitive advantage. Okay. So another, um, strategy, first of all, let me, let me get, how does somebody contact you to get in on the um, that forum and other uh, forums like it. Um, they you can sign up for our, our um, newsletters on staylocal.org at the bottom of the page. You can just sign up right there and you'll be in the communication loop right then. Or okay. you can send an email to Marianne at staylocal.org. Okay, Marianne at staylocal.org. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, recently, one, one of the things that prompted me to get in touch with you again, because I think this is maybe the third or fourth time that we've actually visited, um, was an article that I read, and I think the New York Times, because that's my Bible, um, was um, an a, uh, experiment going on in uh, Canada, and I want to say Toronto, although I'm really not sure I, I recall the city, where they are basically trying to um, use the Amazon model but um, based around, again, their local businesses. So I guess it's not on similar to locally.com. Uh, their, their idea is to uh, make uh, local stores and products available um, online through a caching, I guess you would say, of, of, of products that are out there. Um, so uh, is, would you say that the, um, this locally.com model is similar to this model in Canada, but Canada's yeah. pretty robust. I mean, it's really gone far. Yeah, exactly. And exactly. And the more that uh, those options that are just redirecting people's attention to um, local options and raising the visibility of the local options in a way that people are becoming really comfortable and seeing them, like they're scrolling at the doctor's office or whatever, and, uh, you know, they, they're seeing things that are not, um, you know, and we have to remember on Amazon, 
they have done part of what is they've done extremely uh, well is suck small businesses into their marketplace and then define the terms of how they're doing businesses. So the more we can we can pay attention to and, and know about those small businesses that don't have necessarily have the marketing bandwidth that fall outside of the Amazon <laughs> domain, the better off we are. So a lot of those small businesses within the marketplace have a presence outside of Amazon as well. And, and we just need to continue to grow those options. So they're not locally.com. There's the, the one that you mentioned, like the, the Canadian one. I don't know if you, have you seen that one, not amazonart.com? No. Which is specifically art from around the world. Again, it's that like, like staylocal.org, which was designed as, which is a searchable online directory of specifically locally owned businesses where 50% or more of the ownership resides within the greater Metro New Orleans area. It's, we, we created the staylocal.org directory with in, in 2005, I guess, uh, 2004, with also seeing that the, the unfair market advantage that at that time it was more, um, uh, um, you know, publicly traded bricks and mortars than Amazon, but it was still, it was like, what do we do for the low, little businesses that don't have that marketing oomph? You know, we create that marketing oomph for them by, by making them more visible. So yeah, all of those are great. Um, maybe, you know, this is what we will see more and more of, you know, we can hope. <laughs> we can hope. So um, can you, uh, what about professional services? That's another thing that it's kind of hard to find what you're looking for. So um, if you're looking for graphics work, if you're looking mm -hmm. for web work um, and so on, is, is there a, any kind of a centralized um, effort to um, make more information available about what's what, what you have in, in the marketplace to be able to find people who do the kind of thing you want to do? That's an excellent point because, uh, you know, the, um, like I say, you can do so much as a consumer of goods, but then the services are a, a big part of it too. And certainly staylocal.org, I, I think our, uh, our services, the, the services listed, that's a searchable, those are searchable terms. That our staylocal.org is not solely retail. Um, so goods and services, local accountants, local you know, attorneys, local, um, like you say, designers, architects, any, anybody who has a good or service that is based in New Orleans, essentially that, that is place-based is, is eligible for stay local listing. And so those are certainly search terms we use. A lot of them, I think, you're, I think you are right. Like when these other examples, they are um, more uh, retail based, um, but I think that's something that will change too. It's really important to remember for example, uh, a bookkeeper, payroll person that we knew was on our board for a while. Her clients were all locally owned businesses. When uh, Mid-City Market came in and um, Petco or something came in there um, and kind of, I think uh, it really put um, Jefferson Feeds um, lo location there in Mid-City in jeopardy. And she said, this can't keep happening. Petco isn't going to hire me to do my payroll. 
Jefferson Feed is going to hire me to do the payroll. So when you think about when we lose our local retail shops, our local um, brick and mortars, we're losing a lot of our local service providers too. I think one of the companies that falls into that category for me that I think is one of the really evil ones out there is um, Dollar General. Mm. So um, you, you watch them uh, open just, they open thousands of stores. Yes. And um, they'll, uh, I mean, I, I have a, uh, we have a little um, house in the woods, I mean, in the woods in Mississippi. And at the uh, intersection with the, the larger two lane road, nearby us um, is a little uh, gas station and a little convenience store, JC's. And um, Tannen's been trying to get them to rename it as Jesus Christ. He figures that <laughs> they're being killed by a combination of the love uh, big truck stop now that's at the intersection mm -hmm. of the I-10 and this road that it's uh, Landon Road that uh, heads our way. And, um, and now there's a dollar, I can't remember whether it's Dollar General and there's a dollar store, I think those are the two different ones, has now opened up in the middle of bloody nowhere. And I said, you know, the, he, he was trying to understand, I said, it's, it's just capturing the real estate being what, at an intersection that is likely to develop as people move away from the you know, lower areas by the coast and move back which was actually ironically a recommendation that my husband made when he was doing the planning for the redevelopment of the Gulf Coast after Camille. Um, and now <laughs> it's pushing up uh, our way where we just want to be by ourselves in the woods. Um, but so they, they're, they're really, they're all over the darn place. And they basically have become the general store or the corner store um, yeah. for uh, a lot of people. And again, I, I think they're, I'm sure, that you can show a graph that's a scissor effect where you say all oh, your little corner stores going down the tubes going on the down uh, um, uh, slide on a graph and up comes all these dollar generals and I, I don't go there I, I don't go there yeah there <laughs> is uh, it's it and it's worse worse than <laughs> I mean you, New Orleans was doing a great study at the dollar general effect um, in terms of what yeah. doing um, a couple years ago too that's uh, it's it's pretty um, it's pretty um, yeah. In uh, what do I want to say? Um, Colonialist, imperialistic. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's all of those, those, those lines. And insidious is the one I was coming up with. But yeah, insidious. That's a good word. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's and it's very much by design what they're what they're doing and what they how they got out the um, make it really impossible for for. Uh, independently owned businesses to compete once they've once they've gotten in there and then what they do in terms of just uh depressing other things like wages and yeah um so, so uh, it's i'm sorry go ahead no that's it so another countervailing um trend maybe uh, that has developed as a result of covid um, and I, I'm curious to see where this goes is delivery. So, mm. you know, uh, I, I had a tenant in my house here in New Orleans who's a very enlightened woman involved in the arts and, you know, on, on the right side of a lot of issues. But she had Amazon deliveries just almost every day. And it was just every, little boxes. So it was just, you know, little notions that she needed. 
And I uh, kept sending her every time I saw an anti-Amazon article, I would send it to her to no effect. The packages still kept coming. And it was just the convenience for her of, of being able to shop online, have it delivered and not have to worry about going out, to, you know, because to go out to a store is definitely about an hour and a half's commitment at least, right? And so out of her day, all of our days are like that. That's a, that's a chunk. Um, so I think that this new delivery um, uh, um, trend as a result of people not going able to go into stores because of COVID, if that were to continue, that might be um, a challenge to the national companies. If our local companies continue to deliver, I don't know what the cost to them of that is. It has to be significant. So I, I don't know if they can keep it up, but it, maybe it's better than being closed. Right. I think so. I think um, I, I would suspect that we will continue to see delivery. Um, just that just becomes part of what businesses do as part of their customer service. And yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that um, sort of the convenience factor is a really tough one to overcome. We're all very susceptible to making things as convenient as we possibly can. And it isn't until we've kind of gone so far down the road that we realize what we've given up in the process of, you know, in the name of convenience by having that thing, that one little widget delivered to our door. And so I think there is, and it's hard to figure out how, you know, how to, how to make that message uh, heard um, and not to turn people off and, and sound super judgy, um, you know, because we're all, we're all complicit in that. And that I think is where, again, it's, it, we need to double down on, on the policy that reigns in and, and says, you know, makes it only so, so profitable for, for Amazon to continue to, to dominate the market the way it has and, and call the shots and say, this is how, this, this is what you've got to do in order to be competitive with me, with us. So, so I, I've heard that um, the new administration coming in tomorrow at noon um, that one of the uh, <laughs> uh, that one of the um, uh, programmatic uh, directions they may go in is again to support small business. So um, I'm, I'm assuming that they're going to look to ways to do to encourage some of the things that we've been talking about. Have you had any interaction with uh, anybody at the federal level? I'm I'm kind of concerned about whether New Orleans is going to have a voice. And because uh, I, I don't know, um, he seems to be filling his ranks with a lot of um, Obama people that he knows and knows that he can work with and so on. But um, uh, there's only one person I know from Louisiana in his cabinet, um, Cedric Richmond, and I don't know Ced Cedric all that well. So um, yeah, how are we gonna relate to the new administration and hopefully make sure that um, they, in a sense, keep their promise that they are going to look for ways to um, help exactly what we're talking about, keeping small business in, in, in the cities and towns of America alive. Well, I, yeah, I think we're going to see, I mean, obviously, like that, like that, um, the form that I talk, I, I mentioned about reigning in monopoly power, that's very much something that um, has its impact on, on good and well, well-paying jobs and, and kind of job creation and all of that down in Louisiana as well. Um, and um, I think, you know, there are things, things we can watch along those lines. Um, also, you know, I, I understand Russell Honore has been 
tapped for something yeah. too. So we've got our voice, certainly have our, our megaphone there on uh, issues, environmental and otherwise. Um, yeah. that just the, the emphasis they're placing on, on c strong communication and, and sort of fact, fact, leading with facts and all of that sort of stuff can only be beneficial. And I think you have a, if you haven't already had the conversation with Logan Burke, that may be about renewable, uh, re renewable energy. Um, that's something I think is on your radar as well to come up in a future conversation. And, you know, that's all about, um, you know, job creation in within the renewable um, realm for, um, for Louisianans as well. So, and, and there, the, the people within the, the uh, renewable energy sphere uh, within Louisiana are very optimistic as well that this, this, this new administration brings, brings new um, energy and uh, interest in, in renewable energy options as well. Well, so we're about, we're over time. So I have got to cut us um, off, but I uh, would like you to please stay in touch and, and uh, you and Marianne both um, keep me informed as things develop and uh, remind me when a forum is coming up and then so we can get something into our calendar um, in the uh, newsletter um, and also give a mention to that on the uh, radio show. But um, thank you so much, Jana, for what you do. And I think it's incredibly important and it's gonna be even more important as we do pursue some of these other strategies for making sure that um, our, cities, our cities and towns stay alive. It's all about survival. Yes, yeah. indeed. Our way of life. Thank you so much. And um, okay, 21, please. <laughs> I keep telling yes. people, you know, not happy new year, but happy year. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Right. Thanks, Jean. Take care. I, I'm kind of wondering, uh, do we have the kind of community engagement now that we have then we have activism on a national scale, but do we have the kind of engagement at the local level that we had then? You would have thought that would have continued. I'm not sure it has. Well, I don't, you know, it's, it's very interesting. The, the, um, that's a great, and it'd be interesting study. So many of the, uh, the activism now is neighborhood by neighborhood. It's uh, to protect limited kinds of the place where I and my and my my family live um, uh, and it's um, it's it's less widespread there are some great side efforts uh, I mean the the uh, transportation people who are trying to get always trying to get the, the bus and streetcar system to be more rational uh, there are um, um, the, the people who are have been trying and I've been working on this too to um, promote the idea of removing the uh, elevated expressway over Claiborne Avenue uh, for its, uh, its, you know, that would, that would do, that would do something. And I, and, you know, that, it, that's been a hard thing to get traction, but it's not losing any ground yet. Uh, it's, I think the time will come when uh, the expressway ramps have to be torn down or have to be um, renovated uh, at great expense. And at that point, somebody will say, why do we even have this roadway if nobody needs it? And I so think that'll be a great one. Of, I think that stretches throughout the whole city of New Orleans. It was great. Uh, the city actually did a good study 
in the closing years of the Mitch Landrieu administration, which laid out all the benefits that you could have if you had a healthy Claiborne Avenue corridor, what it would be. Uh, but it's, there was no money to continue. So when that gets dusted off, uh, I think that will be good. Um, I, I think that people are, have become very defensive uh, of neighborhoods and uh, trees and parks uh, and interested in seeing uh, the neighborhoods that are less uh, advantaged get, get a break and get, get in, in, you know, improvements in places that need it. I think that's all, all but I think it's all happening at a, uh, at a, uh, a granular, granular level. Well, um, but you feel that it is happening. Um, and then I would ask, one of the things on my mind right now is the new administration. And what are the implications of the kind of um, hopefully very comprehensive uh, economic development and, um, and other kinds of infrastructure climate um, plans that will be developed during this administration? Uh, how do you see the interaction between these granular neighborhood-based efforts that are underfunded by far, which is one reason yeah. why some of the things that they advance and want to see happen don't happen nearly as um, fast, if at all, that uh, they would like to see happen. Um, how do you see the new federal administration, uh, their potential role, and, and are, who's doing what to, to make sure that preservation, the creative industries, environmental issues are uh, going to actually be a part of that economic development plan. Is this something you focused on yet? It's it most people. Yeah, I, I haven't. A, I, I do not have many clues as to how a new federal administration will will act. Uh, and um, despite the fact that that uh, well, the, the federal administration we've had for the last four years has actually done some some good things. Uh, for New Orleans, it expanded the historic tax credit program that is almost, which is responsible for just about every renovation of a significant building in New Orleans until the pandemic hit. Um, and, and the Senator Cassidy was the guy who convinced the Republican uh, Senate to pass, to, to retain the historic tax credits. That's probably the most, the most uh, Im impactful thing in uh, of the federal government has did over the last several years to uh, to help New Orleans. Otherwise, we wouldn't have had all that, all those new hotels, uh, renovated old bank buildings turned into hotels and and uh, and uh, residential towers. All of the, not, New Orleans used the tax credits better than anybody else. And it was and, and I don't know if uh, if if tax credits is something that's on anybody's agenda now. And in terms of, uh, I mean, uh, cities will get money, whether we'll get uh, well thought out application of, of federal money is, is not clear. I mean, in the, in the, back in the, uh, in the 60s and 70s and 80s, a lot of money flowed in city and didn't do much good. We, you know, we, we built some bad things. Uh, and and it was all is federally funded, I, I, and I think that in the post in the effort to recover from the pandemic, uh, we might uh, we got to be really careful 
not to, to direct federal money at the wrong things. But now in terms of uh, uh, the city administration, uh, I think that uh, Mayor Cantrell has some very capable people who are uh, have a, a kind of an urban planning, urban, a smart urban landscape kind of smart cities um, uh, approach to things. And, they, and the, the fact that the city is, has a smart streets program, which is, you know, gets, uh, uh, brings together smart forms of alternative transportation. I, I mean, I think I'm hopeful that in these small ways, the city will, uh, will, will ad advance. I mean, I, uh, I, I'd say that um, the assistant C CAO, chief, uh, I think Ramsey Green is an assistant chief administrative officer. Uh, I, I would have a lot of confidence in, in his leadership in, in these areas. How, I, I, I don't know whether to ask you, how do you see things going forward or maybe rather I should ask, how would you like to see them go forward right now? Let's just say that in addition to the kind of incentives that I didn't realize that Cassidy was uh, in the lead on that. Uh, it's interesting to yeah, hear. He, he was in the national lead. I mean, he was the driver. Yeah, for, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah no, I was surprised. I didn't, I didn't know that. So um, uh, that's definitely mitigating my view of, of his <laughs> politics. Um, certainly he didn't do what Kennedy just did, which was so terrible. I mean, you know, joining the group that's trying to disenfranchised millions of Americans. Um, but how, how would you like to, what, what have you been thinking? Do you have a vision for where the, the movement, if we, I don't wanna call it the preservation movement, but if, if we are to think in a smart way about how we continue to develop our cities. And, and I think there's a challenge right now, isn't there? I, I've talked to a lot of people um, who are, are leaving some of the more uh, in, intensely populated areas and thinking about going to smaller towns because partially the, the pandemic really um, is, is crunching that, but uh, it, it also comes from the flexibility uh, that's now offered through the internet communications, which again, got kind of really pushed forward during the um, pandemic. But um, tell me, Tell me what you're doing and tell me what you think we should be doing right now to enhance the quality of life in cities. Um, and, and not just cities, but uh, areas around uh, our cities, our smaller towns as well, going forward. Is that too Well, you make, you make me feel like I should be doing uh, something to enhance cities uh, more than I am. Uh, yes. But if I, if I were, uh, I mean, I, the New Orleans has the opportunity. New Orleans, every every year, New Orleans becomes more historic, and it sort of ex extends its lead over um, uh, other American and world cities in in many ways. Uh, and I think we should focus on the uh, the wonderful creation of of uh, this this terrific city over the last th three and a half three centuries, and then more if you extend it extend it back into. Um, pre-colonial times. The, it's, it's, a, it's an advantage that we have, we, we can have a livable, uh, walkable, enjoyable 
city that thrives by being itself as opposed to um, something that brings in uh, chemical plants uh, from around the world to pollute the Mississippi River and, and give us uh, 50 jobs uh, in a place that's 60 miles away from New Orleans. And also we should stop paying attention to, uh, I mean, we should just acknowledge that the, the port of New Orleans had a great run, but it's, it's a second tier or fourth tier port in, in the world scheme. And it's not gonna get us the, the, the impact that it used to have. Neither is the oil industry centered in New Orleans. Now, aside from the fact that the oil industry, if the oil industry were still a healthy industry, it left New Orleans in the 1980s. All, all of the people uh, that were administering things left. And then the offshore, in the last 30 years, the offshore construction has dwindled. Uh, I, live off, I live across the street from the Biso Marine Shipyard, whose base, whose uh, uh, the whole business was under undersea construction, and they're gone. They just there's nothing there anymore. And uh, and if you if you go up and down the the, river, the port, you find that the the oil construction business is gone. The oil executives left long before that. The port is sort of moribund. And um, and and despite what Michael Heck says, we're not going to get a uh, a, a, a major medical industry. We're not gonna have more medical technology or more medical uh, uh, services than other cities in, in, the, the, in the country. It's just, we're just gonna get the average and we're gonna get the average technology. Every city in the country is gonna have technology and medicine. So we should stop promoting ourselves as you know, the, 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 a leader in that field and just realize what we need to concentrate on is having a livable, friendly uh, city where people feel that they're treated fairly, that it can brag about, it can acknowledge its slavery past and its racist past, and, uh, and, and you can acknowledge those things fairly and incorporate, incorporate that into the story and we could, could uh, uh, make people feel that they are uh, understanding what happened and that this is uh, a comfortable place for everybody to live. Uh, it's, I think it's going to be a smaller city for those who want to live here. Uh, there aren't going to be as many uh, jobs, uh, but it's, um, it, it could be a uh, exemplary place in many ways. Especially, again, as um, people rethink um, their addiction, in a sense, to the density of, of some of the, the mega cities, the New Yorks, Chicago's, LA's, and, yeah. um, and, and Miami's, and they, and they realize that uh, through the communications uh, tools that we now have, that you can be connected to the national global economic grid without having to be um, on Wall Street. Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah. Or, or, you know, uh, in, 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 in any of these larger cities, but- um, Exactly, I, I think but, the people but, who but would they, be they, here wouldn't be working, as you say, wouldn't be necessarily loking, working locally, they would be connected to the world. But um, I, as you know, and a lot of people who know me know that, uh, 
there is an economic future for the city that can uh, generate jobs and and maintain them and grow them and that is our creative industries exactly and we have a profoundly creative community and youth um, I, I've worked with the youth on on a couple programs that we have that I'd love to see better endowed and developed where we try to help um, our creative students understand the the possibilities of creative jobs and, and how to train and educate themselves in order to be able to succeed in them. Uh, and if we were to do that, and if we were to focus more of our economic development work on the creative sector, um, I, I see no reason why we should uh, lose jobs and lose people and become smaller. I, I don't see any reason why we couldn't actually grow if we actually made the uh, gave the focus and, and the investment into those industries that we should. I, I agree with you. I agree with you wholly. And I didn't mean to be precluding that. Uh, I was just picturing our, our having a city that was uh, provided a context in which, in which uh, that kind of creativity and, um, and arts and cultural right. oriented businesses could thrive. And, and New Orleans could, could make up for a lot by having, itself known even more strongly as the place where those things happen. And um, our neighborhoods play right into that. Um, what, what about the thought of really trying to restructure our tourism to attract people to the various neighborhoods of the city? Um, I happen to be as part of the city administration in New York at a time when the tourism industry there made a concerted and intentional effort to move tourism to the boroughs into Queens, into Brooklyn, into the Bronx. And um, Brooklyn in particular is an incredible demonstration of the effectiveness of that. But it, it's also happening in, of all places, the South Bronx, which is where I come from. And believe me, I never thought the South Bronx could be any kind of a uh, um, growth area in the creative, much less any industries, but um, it has it's happening. So what about that? What about looking at that interrelationship, again, between the the preservation and the growth of our of our neighborhoods are historic all of which are historic we talk about historic neighborhoods but really all, every neighborhood in the city of new orleans um has a, a story to tell a, a historic yes. story to tell and and you can see it when you drive down the streets i mean it is visible in its architecture and yes. in the way people relate to each other on the corner and on their stoops and so forth that is a, a pattern of uh, it's a 19th century a way of living that um, uh, is, is still prevalent here. I always say that in New Orleans, the past is not past. Um, and that has a, it has a good side and a bad side to it because I think a little bit of a overcommitment to the past has prevented us from really in, 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 in attracting more um, of the kind of energy that you read about Atlanta having attracted all these times. Yeah. That's sort of part of the narrative about what's going on in Atlanta right now. Um, we should continue our conversation um, another time. I'd like to have you back on. And I, I, I urge you and ask you to apply your uh, wisdom and experience and knowledge uh, to um, uh, addressing the question of how we can in New Orleans benefit from this new administration and its um, proposed yes. economic development uh, bigger ideas, bigger plans, and hope that they embrace um, 
the kind of things we're talking about. Do I have time to say one more thing? Please. To go back to sort of the beginning? If the new administration came up with the long-awaited plan to uh, tear down urban expressways that uh, people around the United States have been talking about for uh, a couple of decades now, include, especially including the uh, Congress for the New Urbanism, of which I was a board member, uh, you know, we had a great plan for tearing down the Claiborne Expressway. There are 20 or 30 other expressways in the country that ought to come down. And the transportation department has been this close, this close, to, um, to, to coming up with a plan that would help fund replacements for those things as they near uh, their inevitable end. You're uh, staying at the federal administration. Yes, and yeah. and New Orleans would be one. Uh, the New Orleans would be one of the great beneficiaries of a federal program long needed to uh, to to replace the urban expressways. Well, my closing words to you, Jack Davis, are get to work. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time, and uh, I do uh, look forward to checking in with you. And I want you to pay close attention to what's going on up there. I, I haven't found anybody yet that I've been talking with, and I'm sure there are folks out there who are communicating with this administration, but we need to no. make sure that we are no. um, uh, doing that and uh, to the benefit of our, our town. Thank, Thank thanks so for much. all your great work. Thanks for all your great work. And, and uh, it was a great pleasure just, just to talk to you. Uh, likewise, and I look forward to our conversation in about two months when I know you're going to know a lot more about what's going on up there and you're going to tell me what to do. Okay, take care. Jack. Eugene, thank you. Happy, happy your new year for all of happy us. Happy new year to you. So that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed it. Gene Nathan for Crosstown Conversations on WBOK, what people are talking about.